0: of Esther as we complete our Esther series the very last chapter in the book of Esther the last time Christmas was on a Sunday was 2016 and that morning we told our children we said look um, you will open your presents after the worship service and um, with some fussing they they agreed and so I got dressed and I was leaving to go to church early that morning and my wife said honey I know we told the children uh, that we weren't going to open any presents, but I have a special present for you that I'd like to give you before you leave. I said, absolutely, honey. What is it? And so she gives me this uh, little box. And so I opened the box, and I pulled out a watch. And I said, message received. (laughs) Um, Now, I I didn't get a watch uh, this morning, but the message still holds true. Keep it short. Keep it sweet. So I'll try to do it today, and it's easy because we have a short text. Esther chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastland of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of his high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all the people. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as a flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, But the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, we thank you for this day. And Lord, what a glorious reality that as families we can gather together and proclaim your truth here in church. Lord, I thank you for this day. I I rejoice in knowing that many of these families will get together and exchange gifts and love on each other as a reminder of the gift you've given us and how you loved on us. And so now, Father, what we know not teach us, what we ask not give us, what we are not make us, but the power of your Holy Spirit and for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You know, the end of the book of Esther, we have a feast or at least the institution of a feast known as Purim. And Purim was instituted to teach the people of Israel about their redemption in Susa. And I couldn't help but reading and studying about Purim and thought that's what Christmas does for us. It reminds us of our redemption in Christ. And there are three aspects of Christmas that I want to talk about today very briefly from this text that we see. And the first aspect is this. Christmas reminds us, That we have no savior like Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is completely unique. If you look at the person of Christ and the work of Christ, there is nothing like Jesus Christ in all the world. You say, Pastor, how do you know that from this text? Well, look at this text. This text talks about a king, King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus is just like every other king or leader in the world. How does he get his power? How does he get his glory? Through taxation of the people. This taxation took everything from people. You know, uh, most of us in here will probably be taxed somewhere north of 15%. Some of us less than that. Some of us in the 20% dial. But the people here got taxed at 75%. You know what happens if 75% of 75 of your wealth is taken from you? It plunges you into poverty. And so King Ahasuerus got his power and his might through taxation. But notice how Mordecai, who's representative of Christ, gets his glory. The text tells us actually in verse number three: he gets his glory by seeking the welfare and spoke peace to all his people. The word welfare, there's the world, is the word Tov, it means good. And to speak peace, we talked about this before, is the word shalom. He spoke the good and the peace for God's people in other words if I could say it differently he was a suffering servant for God's people that's how you and I proclaim Christ in our day it's by seeking the good of others by serving others in fact in the book of Isaiah Isaiah 53 it's known as a locus classicus for this one reason it's a classic text talking about the very nature of Christ and notice what Isaiah says Do you notice the difference? Christ, in this passage, didn't take anything from us. Oh, no, he gave us something. He gave us his righteousness and his holiness. In other words, he gave us his tov and shalom. Now, many of us who've been Christians for a while know that the Bible talks about Um, Us being servants over and over again. You can go through the Bible and you can see that the Bible talks to us about being servant leaders or being servant of others. Do you know why the Bible talks so much about that? Do you know why the Bible talks so much about us forgiving one another and loving one another? I'll tell you why. Because it's not intuitive. Read through the Bible. Have you ever seen the Bible tell us how to drink water or how to eat food? How to use the bathroom? No, all of that is intuitive. We do that by nature. But why do you think the Bible has to constantly tell us to be servants toward one another, or love one another, or forgive one another? Because it's not intuitive. If I could say it differently, it's not a part of your nature. There are some of you inside here today are hunters. Right? You go hunting all the time. You go hunting for deer. And some people, when they hunt for deer, they put down grain. Now imagine if I took an A5 Wagyu steak and cooked it to perfection and put it next to the grain. And a deer walks up. The deer will sniff over the A5 Wagyu, would it not? And it will go to the cheap grain on the ground. Philistines, right? Why would they do that? Why would they pass over this premium steak cooked to perfection? Because it's not in their nature to eat. Beloved, hear me today. Christ didn't just come to save you. He came to change your nature. Because according to the Bible in Genesis 3, you and I are born with a nature that is radically opposed to everything that we read in Scripture. When you read through Scripture and the Bible tells you to pray... And read your Bible and come to church and to give away 10% of your income. When the Bible tells you to forgive those that have wronged you. When the Bible tells you to love those that are unlovable. When the Bible tells you to give to those that despise you and hate you. When you read all of those things. Have you ever wondered why the Bible tells you that over and over and over again? Because it's not in your nature to do. And Christ had to come not just to save you, but to give you a new nature. Look, this is so important to Christianity. So often, sometimes, I might stand up here as your pastor and tell you, Christ came to save you, and that's all you hear. But it's so much more than that. Christ had to save you and, at the same time, give you a new nature. I'll never forget, this came home to me one day. Uh, Madison was about four or five years old, and she nearly drowned. And, and thankfully, right, we, we didn't see her. She was in the pool. We were watching her. But you know how that is. You take your eyes away from your child for a split second. Next thing you know, they're drowning. And somebody jumped in the water and saved her, pulled her up out of the water. We were so thankful, right? Madison was saved. Now, imagine for a moment if we found out she was okay and then said, okay, you're okay. And then we threw her back in the water. Now, you would say, Pastor, that's, that's awful. Why would you do that? Exactly. Because Madison didn't just need to be saved. She needed a different orientation toward the water. She needed to be taught how to swim. She needed to be taught how to float. Something in her nature needed to change. Otherwise, even though she was saved, she could drown again. And the whole point of the gospel is to remind us of the glorious reality that we have a Savior that not only saved us, but He sent the Holy Spirit to give us a completely new nature, so that now we could interact with the world different. That's what Christmas means. It means that you and I now we're not only saved, but we could interact with the world differently. We could spread the peace and love and joy that the Bible talks so much about. Why? Because we've been given a completely new nature. Notice the second thing. Christmas reminds us that God builds his kingdom in unlikely ways. Now, you've heard me say this before, but in the book of Esther, Esther is said to be one of the most secular books in the Bible. In fact, the book of Esther almost didn't make it in the Bible. Did you know that? It was put aside as an apocryphal book. But in the providence of God, the book was reread by many Christians and put back into the scripture because it teaches this central truth that God used different people to build his kingdom. Now, if you read through the book of Esther, you'll notice that there's no mention of a prophet, a priest, or a king. That would have been incredibly, or profoundly, I should say, disturbing to every Jew that read through the book of Esther. Because salvation always came through a prophet, priest, or king. But if you read through the book of Esther, there's no mention of a prophet, priest, and king. Why is that? Because God often uses people in unusual ways. Common, everyday people in unusual ways. Look, if you saw a book that said, The people that God used to save his people, what would you think is in that book? Well, you'll say, Well, a Pastor is probably a pastor, or it'll probably be a missionary, or some titan for the faith. You know what you wouldn't think? That a socialite and a politician were used to save God's people. And yet, when you read the book of Esther, what do you see? God using those two people. A politician, And a socialite to save his people. When God wanted to bring Jesus into the world, who did he use? He used a carpenter and a homemaker. You see, that's how God works. Now, here's the point that I want to make and I don't want you to forget. Each and every one of you inside here today, if we're going to reach Flintstone for the glory of God or this area for the glory of God, it's going to take each and every one of us. The pastor is only one person. We have four what, six elders, and we have about five or six deacons. That's not enough, uh, right, to win Flintstone for Christ or to spread the gospel in Flintstone and Christ or beyond. It's going to take each and every one of us living and doing the things that God has called us to do in community in order to reach Uh, this area and beyond for Christ. That's what this passage tells us. That's what the book of Esther tells us, that everyone has a role in God's kingdom. doesn't matter what you do. You might be a teacher. You might be a homemaker. You might work at a college. No matter where you are, God wants to use you in a powerful way to reach the people around you. The book of Esther reminds us of that, and Christmas reminds us of that. Now, the final thing I want to say is this. Christmas reminds us that the first advent foreshadows the second advent. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Here's what I mean by that. When Christ came into the world the first time, he, you know the story, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose again. And right before he left, he said that he will come again. He will come again. That's the second advent. And so the first Advent, we live in anticipation of the second Advent. Now you say, well, Pastor, how do we see that in this passage? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now here's something you need to learn about the book of Esther. If you start reading the book of Esther, at the the end of every chapter in Esther, it's known as a cliffhanger. There's a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter in the book of Esther. Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, what's a cliffhanger? Well, let me tell you. When I was young, right, You had shows, we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have DVR. What we had was shows that would show on on television, and at the end of every show, something would happen and would leave a cliffhanger. And you would have to wait until the next week. Or you would have to wait until the show came around at the end of the summer. It was madness. You couldn't just uh, watch the entire show. No, you had to wait. And they usually put a cliffhanger at the end of it. Well, if you read the book of Esther, every chapter of the book of Esther ends with a cliffhanger. Chapter 1 of Esther ends with who's going to be the next queen. Chapter 2 is is how will Mordecai be rewarded and and on and on and on to the very end in chapter 7 and 8. How will God save his people? But at the end of chapter 9, there is no more cliffhanger. At the end of chapter 9 into verse 10, you see Mordecai reigning and ruling. Now, that's very instructive to us for this reason. Right now, most of you, most of us are living a life that's filled with cliffhangers. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, there's some of us inside here today are wondering, are we going to get into the college of our dreams? Will we ever get married? What kind of career will we have? Will I have children? Will my children come to know the Lord? Will I even see my children grow up? Will I beat cancer? And on and on and on. Our lives every day are filled with cliffhangers. Is it not? But I'm here to tell you today that really, if you look at it and you study the Bible, the Bible tells us how it all ends. There's no cliffhanger. Jesus Christ will reign and rule. I had a professor in seminary. He would always begin his class by saying, Brothers and sisters, Jesus wins. And then he'll just start teaching. Man, I love that. I love that class. Because that's what we should say to each other every single Lord's Day. Brothers and sisters, we know how this all ends. Jesus wins. We will reign and rule with him. We will be with him. The first advent guarantees that he will come back again. And that's the reality that you and I live in. Glory to God. Man, I, that, that just gets me excited. You know, that just gets me excited. Well, what's the big takeaway? The big takeaway is simply this. Let Christmas serve as a glorious reminder that the first advent reminds us that there will be a second advent. And all of us are called to live in that reality. Father, we thank you. We thank you that um, today is a holy day, a day that you've set aside for us to worship. It is also a glorious reminder of all the wonderful things that you've accomplished for us. Lord, we should be excited over these realities. I can't think of anything else we can be excited about. And so I pray for our people that when they receive their presence, They might receive them with joy, knowing that every good gift and perfect gift comes from the Father above, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.